Hi there, welcome to the More Simple Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them as our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage needed to set your own stories free enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Mo, and I am very excited to have this person. You know how to say, uh, almost like your hero in a way. And so let me just explain it. So I'm being a mentoring, right? And there's something I always say that I'm not a self-made person. I could never say that. That would be like a, a life from the deepest pit of hell. Many people have helped me get to where I am today. And this particular guest on the show today has been one of those people that have really informed my process especially professionally. And the mentoring style is just, I, there's no what, there's no, I don't think there's a particular definition for the kind of style that I, the mentoring style that applies to her. In that, I want to say it was mentoring by diffusion. There was some activity involved, but you know how you take somebody's playbook and then like, I'm just going to follow exactly what she did to get to where I am. That's her. So her name is Dr. Olufumi Lola Abraham, and she describes herself as a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother of three, a friend, a professor, and you know, Christ-like person. And I know that she she was really very modest when she put that together. Guys, she's super amazing. She's she's you know, a very very talented um, outcomes researcher, and she works as an assistant professor at the University of um, Wisconsin Madison School of Pharmacy. And there, she has a lab where you know they use um, health systems to um, improve medication adherence. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, um, her her lab where, you know, they're evaluating a new program that can help, you know, student pharmacists, you know, teach children responsible use of OTC medications. So everyone, without further ado, please join me in welcoming a sister, a mentor, um, Dr. Abraham. Hello. Hi, Talani. You almost going to make me cry with that introduction. <laughs> I'm so happy to be able to catch up with you and just be part of your show. Thank you. Thank you. And so I think, so I know we went to, so we went to Unilad together. You were a year my senior. And I don't remember, I think we only had one encounter. You probably don't remember this, but it was in front of OPH. Um, and you were maybe white or black and we just said hi hello and and it wasn't like a i don't remember the conversation but i remember your smile and here's i was able to like you know go back to that day when, we, when i started working at chevron i remember pastor wale asking me who you know was our boss like ah do you know for me choir i'm like yeah i'm like you sure you know her like yeah you need to talk to her because i think you should go get your phd as well and just do everything <laughs> that she did and so I, I was like i know i know her but i didn't you know you were not very you're not like you know loud in school you, you tend to remember people that are very you know vocal and all that but i knew it was very hot because you know very <laughs> smart and your gpa was really high so everybody knew that ah, you know for me was very very smart and all that so so um 
working in Chevron and you you came, you left just before I came. That's true. And everyone just, you know, they talked about you so much. And I'm like, wow, how's your feeling? You know, because I was the intern who replaced, well, it was me and Dako, you know, they replaced you. Like, how do you feel the shoes? Like, you're almost like a matter. Like, everybody just talked about for me, for me, for me. So I'm like, okay, me too, I'll blaze my own trailer. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember just even thinking about um, grad school, like coming to the US. I remember when I reached out to you, you you gave me that playbook and you're like, you know, just do this and that. And it's a t- particular time I emailed you and said, there's, a, I think, water currency, maybe the U.S. embassy. They were trying to, there was, a, there was an organization that were asking you to pay money so they can process your, your, your. they will help you, coach you, yes, to get into grass. We're like, don't waste your, don't waste your money. That's what <laughs> that sounds yourself. like me. <laughs> don't waste your money. Like, this is what you need to do. I was like, ah. you know, and it was the first time someone was actually telling me, you can actually do this. And I felt so empowered. And I remember that when I wrote my DR, you were the first person I called. Like, as I came out of the exam hall, because, you know, you get your, your, G, your, score. Your, your score, except for the verbal, um, I think the 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 written, essay, the yeah. written one, but the verbal and the quantitative. You're the first person. Like, ah, that's a very good score. Don't worry, you get it. You know. Now go and write your tofu. So I just want to say thank you. <laughs> like oh, really, thank God. you. I know we get we're inspired by people, and sometimes we don't get to like let them know how much they've inspired us. You know. Mm-hmm. And I copied your work. It's just you know. It was the perfect form of plagiarism in a way. I copied your work, <laughs> I copied your playbook, you gave it to me, and I listened and you encouraged me. So I want to say thank you because you 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 start you you were a catalyst, really. That's what you were, you know, even though we haven't like kept in touch, but without you, you know, impacting my life that way, I won't be here today. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I don't even I I don't think I can beat that, but that is really amazing. Like you have I there's so many emotions going through my mind. And I think we have to change that. We have to connect more often. I, <laughs> I see you as a sister and I agree. I'm I'm kind of into myself. I'm not good about reaching out, but everything you said sounds like something I'll say. If you can do it for free, why pay for it? Yeah. Um, but but it's really a blessing to have been able to help someone else because many people helped me that's how i decided to go pursue my phd i don't know if you remember dr ajayi yes yes but i remember then when i was trying to figure out applications what schools he's like for me go and do your phd and he said it like that's a no-brainer you know but dr ajayi really as a pastor as as a head of a team his leadership staff yeah really really blessed me and it's just with people like that i'm always moved by people that are willing to train the next generation because that's how my mind naturally works you're not going to be here for forever forever yeah you know but how are you going to pass on pass it on to someone else yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. And well, now that you mentioned it, I remember one time. You know, he doesn't really come to. He was based in Lekata, yeah. and I was in Bagada then. You know, so for those that I don't know, we used to work with Chevron, and they had two big centers in Lagos, Bagada and Lekki. Lekki was the main, you know, the bigger, I guess, um, location. And this is the this was the head of the clinic then, the CMD, the chief medical director. And there was day he came to the pharmacy, and he was like, ah, you know, you must tell her, yeah, okay. Oh, I see you did very well. You like, what are your plans after school? Go to pharmacy administration. I think it was from his mouth that I heard pharmacy administration the yeah. first time. And I saw, you know, and then I reached out to you. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention was when I got into school, I mean, UT Austin then to start my PhD. I don't remember. We used to talk a lot. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. There was one day in the bus, and I felt like every time I would call you, I mean, you would listen to me, you'd give me advice. But I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm disturbing this person very much. But I remember one day I called you, I was like, ah, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm studying, I'm studying a lot, it's stressful. 
And then I think you now told me to kind of, you know, run you through how, like, what's making me this tired? Like, you know, grad school comes with a level of difficulty, but tell me exactly what you're doing. Then I think I told you that all of the articles, I always studied it like they were going to test me. You were like, ah, no, no. No, this is grad school or that, that, that you just have to have a foundational knowledge of these things or maybe find a way to summarize it. When it's time for your exams, they're not testing you on these articles. At that moment, I was actually the heavens just open <laughs> and I saw like the stress just dissolve away. And I was like, my goodness, because I don't know how long I'll have just kept studying and until I, like, you know, the weight fell on me. So that was very key. Because I realized that after that time, I didn't really think I needed to call you as often. But anyways, I can keep giving my examples. I just want to say, you know, you. I mean, thank you, thank you. Even though you say you're quiet, you're in your show, you you're changed. You've changed lives. Mine, mine in particular, and because of of people like you, I found it also to keep giving back to people that are coming, you know, behind on me. So you're part of that story of people that have, you know, been successful through the things we people like us do. So you know, almost like you know. Um, Paul planted Apollo water and you know God, <laughs> God gave like her the yes, 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 yes. So, anyways, uh, enough about I can keep gushing about you. Can you tell us a little bit? So, I, we know you're from Nigeria. You moved here, you know, maybe I want to say 12 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Because right. you were, you know, yeah. So, tell us just you know how you how that came about and what has it been like settling into a new country. Question. So I'm from a big family, a family of six. My pre- I'm the last of six children, and I'm very fortunate to have wonderful siblings that just really invested in me from very young. And just their examples, them being honest, authentic, being willing to challenge me in ways I didn't want to be challenged. And just having parents that were very devoted to education, I feel really I credit that outside of God, of course, to really how I've been able to persevere and even be here and be successful in Nigeria and here. Um, I never wanted to be a pharmacist. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) That's the last thing I wanted to study, you know, but my father had, God used my father really because he had six children and he had made up his mind he's going to have two mechanical engineers that had to be boys. The girls couldn't be engineers. I really wanted to be an electrical engineer. And he wanted two pharmacists. I ended up being picked as one of them, unfortunately, unfortunately, and two economists. And so my father kind of dictated what we studied. I tried to fight it, but it was a losing battle. You don't win with him. So that's how I ended up going to pharmacy school. I shadowed my sister, who's about 12, 11 years older than me, worked in her pharmacy, but I'm like, this is not for me. I don't like it. And I kept complaining. And Professor Odukoye, I don't know if you remember her in, in pharmacognosy, then at the University of Lagos said, go do your PhD right after you finish. And I look at her, I'm like, what are you talking about? Still wasn't thinking about it, but one thing I realized was I really enjoyed teaching, even though I didn't like want to be a pharmacist and I didn't really like practicing that much, even after working in Chevron or working for the government, I realized I really liked teaching. And at the time, the thing was get a PhD if you think you want to be a faculty member. I had no clue how to. But again, there were people that were just come to the US that really showed me how. And as God will have it, I ended up at the University of Wisconsin because I had an aunt who had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. Now she's late, but she was in Wisconsin. So, and I looked up Wisconsin, it was a highly ranked school. So it was one of the schools I applied. It was the only school I got into for a PhD with funding. So that's how I ended up here. 
Um, unfortunately, after about a year and a half of being here, my auntie that I came here for passed on. Um, but I knew God had me here for a reason. And that's just the story of how I ended up becoming a faculty member of research. I met my husband here in Madison. So there are just so many things that have happened that I guess I was supposed to be here, you know, and God has really just kind of kept me being in a foreign country. I'll say the hardest part for me personally, because I come from a big family, I had only gone to school within 15, 20 minutes of my parents' house. I lived in the same house for 20 some years. It was really hard. Even though I knew God had paved the way, it was really a struggle. I remember crying and crying on the plane. I couldn't even enjoy the first part of that journey because I just missed my family so much and I didn't know how to be away from them. Um, but um, God provided people through church, through fellowship, being, being invested really in Christ-centered groups really kept me. I, I think I've learned to accept the people of God as my family, you know, but that's still the hardest part of being in a foreign place. Wow. Um, first, sorry to hear about your um, your aunt, uh, the one who passed on. And um, yeah, that must have been quite tough. And also, I didn't know that I didn't want to become a pharmacist. <laughs> no. and I think we're similar in the sense that I knew that, you know, the traditional paths for like pharmacists. And today that we're recording this, September 25th, happens to be World Pharmacist Day, by the way. And so That's the irony true. is lost on us. Um, but I knew that, you know, I mean, pharmacy, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about it is that you can make it whatever you want. You know, you can have, you know, hospital setting, community setting. But I knew that that wasn't the lifespan for me. Like, I knew it wasn't something I wanted to keep doing for the rest of my life. And like you too, I, I, I enjoy teaching. And the same way, you know, Dr. Odukaya spoke to you, it was actually Dr. Bukidara who told me. Yeah, she's passed now. I don't know if you know that. I did not know that. Oh, she passed away last month, actually. And she looked at oh. me doing PCL 400 level and answered a particular question in class. And I think the, the death I provided to the rest was she looked at me and said, you need to go do your PhD. I'm like, oh no, I, was, I think I said, God forbid, because when you think about PhD in Nigeria, then... <laughs> Yeah, thinking of someone spending like 20 years in school and you know you see how we see those PhD students, PGD students on the corridors, they always look so dead and and you know, life out of that like, ah, maybe call, like this cannot be me. <laughs> exactly. But I guess at the end of the day is you know it's beautiful just to see things come out like and how God just you know lays a template before us. Whether it's you know having to force it like the way of your dad or even making you know options open up to you. And I think another thing that I picked up from your story was the place of mentoring. And I know I know for a fact you've had very, very good mentors. So like you know, um Michelle Chui, she's you, you speak about her a lot. And <laughs> I remember before I I think I called you when I was picking my mentor, and there was something you told me that your mentor should be someone that, you know, especially in grad school, someone that lives cares a little bit about your your life outside campus mm -hmm. and and i held on to that and i used to pray that let me to have a very good mentor mm -hmm. and i'll let you know that yes i <laughs> did and i still do have you know a mentor in dr brown but i, I you talked about your 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 mentor so much like you know she would invite you over you knew her family and that was very very enviable so i think this is a perfect segue into you know would you just shed more light on just the impact of mentoring that you've had both for your professional and you know personal life I'm so glad you brought up that question because it's something that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, first, I think mentoring is biblical. At least when I look at Bible stories, I see that God has put mentoring as a way for us to grow. 
you know, Moses mentored Joshua, Paul mentored many people and, and the like. But I, and I see it in my own life and I really see how God has used it. Um, I, like I said, like I started off, I had six, I have five siblings, right? Older siblings. So it's like growing up with five people that are constantly at you to be perfect and to do things the right way and not make the mistakes they, they made. And I think one of the things I learned very young was that if I actually listened to them and did what they said, not what they do, <laughs> I was better off. And they really had my interest at heart. I also learned being mentored by my older siblings that really you're not going to always like what your mentor has to say it's not always going to feel good the mentor is there to challenge you and stretch you to the best that you can be not to make you feel good and I feel once I had that training from my parents and my siblings it was easy to know what to look out for in a mentor I knew that one the person has to really care about you and really care about almost like finding a rough diamond and filled with dirt and realizing there's a diamond inside and I need to help the person scrub off that dirt till they see what they can really become. And so I feel like one is finding the right mentor and even learning the wisdom to find the right mentor. Once you can do that and submit to the mentoring process, and I think that's another part that typically had was hard for me, is submitting to the mentoring process. So when I first came to Wisconsin, the department chair was my assigned advisor from Nigeria. And I had the first meeting with him. Brilliant man, brilliant. I still respect him so much today. And I just couldn't understand him. I was struggling. Literally in the first month of graduate, I'm like, God, am I really supposed to be here? But an old wise woman I met, Betty Tuning, through my meetings, luckily at Wisconsin, they have a rule where you meet with all the faculty before you really decide. That was my saving grace. She kept saying, talk to Michelle Chui. I'm like, are you serious? That person's a new faculty member. I don't know if she knows what she's doing. I'm not changing advisors. I'm just trying to survive here and get a degree. But I remember one Saturday, a couple of weeks after I just come, I was praying and God said, you are changing advisors. I'm like, what are you talking? I'm not changing. This was a decision I was really struggling. I'm like, how do I go and tell the department here that I don't want him to be my advisor anymore? But I remember praying that Saturday. I didn't know many things, but I always knew to trust God. I always knew if God said, this is the way you should go, that is what you do. It's for your own good. And it's what he has planned for you. There is blessing in it. So it was a hard decision. I remember talking to another older student, Mohammed, and saying, oh, I'm going to change advices. And he's looking at me like, are you crazy? Who does that? And I just went with what God said because I really knew God had said, that is your mentor. And I'll say from then on, it made it easy because I've seen that a lot of mentors God has picked. And if I'm smart enough to listen, it's his process. He owns it. It's how he has chosen to shape you because he's doing something in your life and doing something in their life. And I can tell you with Michelle, Michelle is more than a mentor. Michelle is a mother. My parents call her my mother. And even when we fight or I'm not happy, my husband knows there are things she'll do. She's not happy with me. I'm not happy with her. It is what it is like your parent. <laughs> you know, once you can accept it that they are who God has chosen. It's not like you do everything they do, but God is doing something in their life and doing something in your life. And I can go on and on about that, you know, but I really see her as a mother, a friend. She's my new department chair, my new boss, but someone that really God has used in my life in small ways than I can imagine. 
I can even speak about. And wow. That's just one example I have. Now I've learned to have many mentors that do many different things in my life, you know, and shape me in different ways. But the key is learning to recognize them and submitting to the process of mentoring. <laughs> Wow, what a I, li- I love the analogy about your mentors shouldn't make you feel good, but it should bring out the best in you. Kind of like parents, and you, you know, and what you have with Michelle is just it's it's not a real occurrence, but I think it shows is a testament to just who you are and who she is, and the ability to come together and you know be vulnerable enough to you know inform you know for her to inform your process and and I do and I do believe that even as mentees, there's a way we also inform the process of our mentors. And I also like to add, you know, some language to what you said. I think what also can make mentoring really work is to be forthcoming. So um, I'm part of ASCP, which is the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy. And the women's um, seek they have, um, they have uh, like a yearly mentoring stuff. And I remember the first time I had a mentor. I don't think I was very forthcoming about my personal life. And and we're going to talk about tenure track process. One thing you quickly realize is that you cannot tease out your professional life from your personal life. So I didn't think I was very, I didn't think that relationship was very good. But my current mentor, she knows everything about me. I mean, when I say everything, everything that is relevant enough, she knows when I'm stressed and she knows where the source of that stress is from. So I just want to add that for mentoring to work is, you know, be forthcoming. And what you did in grad school about changing your mentors, there are people that have done that and it has just destroyed their relationship in such a way that no other faculty wants to, you know, touch them. Because if you've rejected somebody, it's like you've rejected the whole lot. So I'm not saying you go and reject your mentor. Pray about <laughs> it. Please pray about it and do it very carefully because that can just end up, you know... Um, the key is God said. That's it, it. It's not even something I wanted to... Honestly, I still remember how scared I was. But the difference was God said, that is the way I've chosen for you. Wow. You know, wow. so that's the key. It's not even about... It's not about you. You know, it's about what is God saying? You know, yeah. if God says stick it with someone, you stick it. If God says go, you go because God owns us and he owns what he's doing in our lives. Yes, yes. And more importantly, you listened, you know, despite the fear and even talking to that colleague, Mohammed, I told you that, who does that? Like, what are you doing? But you still <laughs> went ahead. So kudos to you. So I know that you're going to be modest about this part, but let me just say it. I received your CV and I was like, my goodness, what have I been doing in my life all these years? <laughs> like I said, it, it looked like Ashobora. For me, I don't know. Ashobora is like a long, you know, um, cover clothes. I was like, ah, see, it's like, oh my God, like, like almost 30 pages. I saw, let me toot your horn a little bit. Like, oh my gosh. Even though she's quiet, guys, she runs the whole lab. You know, her lab is called the Chrome Lab and they're doing fantastic stuff. And so it's collaborative research on medication use and family health. So I know you've always been very big on adherence, especially in the pediatric population. And I was reading like, you know, a comment about your school that they talked about your work in the sense that nobody else has been, was doing anything on pediatric, pediatric, you know, health, which to me speaks volume to just how, you know, I want to say badass, you know, there's no better word for that, but badass you are, let's just call it what it is. And so her lab really is that trying to develop and, you know, disseminate new novel methods to improve medication safety for vulnerable and underserved population. And they use like a collaborative and transdisciplinary approach to improve medication use. And so, and then I know you're also doing gaming, you know, as well. So tell us a little bit about just how, oh man, I mean, it's amazing and this is really fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your research and how that came to, because I mean, I know a lot of what you, work you did when you were in grad school was on community pharmacy, 
but you know that was like like almost like you're, you're like light years from where you are right now so tell us a little bit about what you do no thank you so it's actually interesting i'll say one of my underlying philosophies to how i pick what research i do is i let the practice inform my research so for example in grad school I studied electronic prescribing and its safety in, in pharmacies because when we worked in Chevron, that was the first time I had ever seen an EHR. And I remember going home and I'm like, mommy, daddy, Shell, there's this thing. Meditech. You, know? <laughs> you know, I'm like, it exists in Nigeria. It works. They send prescriptions for that you know. So why I share that story is it was just what I was fascinated by in my pharmacy practice that just stuck with me. And once I came to the U.S., I'm like, I really want to see. I've always cared about medication safety because of my own challenges with health and medication use from a young age. So it was just the mirror, the merging or marriage of my passions with something I was seeing in practice and something that was kind of new. And I'm like, we need to understand this. This is revolutionary. And at that time, electronic prescribing, e-prescribing was big. I'll say when I, my research really took a different turn when I got to University of Pittsburgh as my first faculty position. And again, that was somewhere where God just opened the door and I didn't want to go. I remember just almost crying, telling my husband, like, I know I'm supposed to go here, but I really don't want to go here. I have my family in Wisconsin. I spent so many years building this community. I don't want to go, but really I look back and I'm like, God just used it to bless me and grow me. At the, and that's why I chose to take the position. So the position was really being a researcher that would focus on the community. And during my grad school years, I felt like we almost used the community. So we were studying it, prescribing, and we'll go in and the pharmacists were happy. We were unraveling all these issues around medication errors. But I didn't really feel like we were invested and so that was something I wanted to change. I, I felt like I missed being in the community. I missed being in practice. And I just wish that my research was more engaged with the community I was studying. Pittsburgh changed that. That was what they did. The, the, the group I was part of in the Department of um, Pharmacy and Therapeutics, the community clip group, the community leadership and innovation in pharmacy, that's what they did. They were overly buried in the, in the community and the community really generated what they did. And so it was a whole flip for me. And it was being there that I started to really think differently. In 2014, I decided to really study what I really wanted to study, which was kids. The reason being that when I was around 15 or so in secondary school, I was I had had many health challenges growing up, so many. I felt so bad for my parents. It was one illness after another. And I survived a lot of them, as God would have it. I guess it wasn't my time. But when I was 15, I then came down with a chronic illness, very rare at the time in Nigeria, but now very common, that would have made me blind. It took a while to be diagnosed. Eventually, by so many miracles, they diagnosed it. Now the treatment was the issue, getting the, the medication. Here and there, I'll get it from time to time. But I had to be on it for 15 years to not go blind. But guess what? I wasn't always taking my medication. At the time before I went to pharmacy school, I didn't realize this severity of what I was dealing with. I just hated some of the meds. They made me sleep in school. I hated being sleeping in class. So I just did whatever I liked. My parents felt I was old enough. They've told me what to do. So go and do it. It'll be well with you. But I was doing all kinds of not so smart things with my medication. So in 2014, I decided I wanted to go back to that. I decided I wanted to 
if I was having that problem as a child, many kids were having it. And that's how I said to study first, what are pharmacists doing with kids? How can we understand medication use and medication safety from the kids' perspective? And it was really the kids that eventually told us, can you use games? Can you use things that are interactive? And then I'm like, ah, games, even me, I don't play games. But they challenged me and I've learned to listen. And as God will have it, God put a pharmacy practitioner that knew games, a faculty member, he actually designed games on the side. So I reached out, I owned myself, I reached out to, I said, our research collaborators teams are saying this, can we try this out? And that's where the journey started of um, really developing games, really listening to our teens, working with teens, having our youth advisory board and really letting them guide us. And it's been exciting. It's really, really, I think it's really been exciting to just submit yourself to the process of learning. I didn't know all of that. And so I can definitely see why you're very passionate about it. Beyond it being stemming from you know your personal experience, like you said, but the fact that you've let everything you've you know gone through and everything that has gone through you to inform this process. So like, you know, your childhood challenge, you know, going to Pittsburgh. And I know there's another story with that, you coming back to, you know, UW, but also seeing that, okay, man, let me just go back to this community that I want to serve. Let's hear what they have to say. And I feel like that's what sometimes as researchers, we forget about, you know, the people who are, who are, who are called to serve. I mean, and I feel like research is a form of service. It is a self-form of service in that, you know, we have these bright ideas, but when we publish them, they don't get to read those articles. They don't get, the guy won't pay like $50 to go and access an article. <laughs> if they're able to read it, they're not even able to understand all the, you know, purpose words we put there. But you let the kids inform them. And then gaming, oh my gosh, who would have thought about that? But even despite not being able to, you know, do it, you reached out to that faculty member to help you. So I just want to say that's really amazing, you know, that you didn't... I can imagine just the challenge of even thinking about gaming. That's enough to just say, ah, that's not my calling. <laughs> let me just take let me just take the easy way. Right? No way, uh, I felt that way. <laughs> but you, you didn't give up. You see, you didn't give up. And I think it's also a testament to your character. So for those that are listening, perhaps, you know, you have that big idea and you feel like it's bigger than you find the people around you there's always somebody around you that can help you speak your dream to somebody and have them put life into it and there are many words for those kind of people some people call them catalysts or activators but if you are not able to like you know um you don't have the right skills right now doesn't mean you can't get them so i think that's just you know a story for that so i know that um when i think about labs you know i think about wet labs you know i think about people that do like you know pharmaceutical um pharmaceutics you know or maybe farm chem mouse model and all that how does one go about setting up a lab and what's your current dynamic like and what's your team made up made up of no that's many questions in one so i can start with what my team is made up of so i'll say my team when i was my, my first faculty job it was maybe me and a couple of students a few students and one research specialist but that has grown over time it takes years takes years to even figure out what research you're doing what you need, the kind of staff. So I'll say right now, my lab is made up of two research specialists, um, many students, PhD students, um, pharmacy students, undergrads that really kind of care about pediatric health also and medication safety. It's, I think it also goes to, you know, building a multidisciplinary team. So, yes. um, and I know that some of things, because I was looking at your website, you've done things on, you know, cystic fibrosis, which is, you know, quite challenging. and 
the medications they have currently, I know they just approved one not too long ago. It, it's the side effects are quite, you know, quite. So you can imagine that adherence is something that is very, very, you know, important. So thanks for, thanks for um, at this, you know, speaking to that. So another thing that I know you are is you are a mom of three boys, you know, three oh, kids, wow. three boys. That is challenging. I'm on a tenure track as well, and you know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's already stress, you know. So how are you managing everything? Like, because uh, I feel like, you know, I mean, being a wife and being on a tenure track, sometimes I feel like so one part has to suffer at the expense mm-hmm. of the other part. And then you start feeling guilty. So how do you do it? How do you, you know, um, what life-giving tips are you able to share with us? Oh, my. I don't know if I have life-giving tips, but I'll say that the first thing I've realized is that if God has called you to tenure track and called you to be a faculty member he'll help you pull through even when you want to give up so many people don't know but i actually resigned from my first tenure track job or at least i tried to and my dean said no when i had my first kid because it was so hard and many people don't know that but i've learned to share because you will feel like giving up you feel like i can't do this this is especially if you care about your marriage you care about family life we have the traditional views that we've been oriented towards so you even struggle more and you have i like someone like me i have no family here you know we're really on our own outside of our church family so and my dean said no for me go and figure out how to be healthy and happy and that was a light bulb moment for me because it was a time i was having health challenges i just felt like this job is going to kill me you know so i have to let it go and she said no i'm not accepting you i had my resignation letter written out i sent her i said i'm not taking it you know go and figure out how to be healthy and happy and it was bless her dean crowboth it was the best thing anyone could have told me because that's really what i needed to figure out how to do and i recognized that it's a process it takes time and i had to be easy on myself it's normal to feel like i'm not doing this well nothing is working i'm stressed but it's the growth process like when you go to school and to really have people work alongside to tell you it's hard it's crazy how are they doing it so i think for me i've learned that if god wants you on it there's no easy way out he will see you through trust him you learn to depend on him and not on yourself because you know that this one has passed your power <laughs> And you know, I think the other thing that has helped is just you know finding other women that have struggled. They are authentic. They are willing to. I remember Michelle when I transitioned here saying that oh someone told her try and take Monday off or Friday off in the summer, cut back. You know, just little things like that. Get a nanny or maybe you don't cook. Don't if your house is dirty 24 hours a day, it's okay. You know. Or when you're angry after that paper, put on music and go and dance. Get away from it. So, really, what Dean Crowbot told me then was, "Go and figure out how to be healthy and happy." Really set me free. God literally just had to set me free because from then on, I decided I don't care how long it takes. If you want me in it, I'll stay in it, and God will see me through. And that has really been the testimony. Is when I want to give up, and I'm like, maybe it's not for me. God is like, you're not going anywhere. That is the lazy way out. You're going to do this whether you like it or not. And um, so I've seen that if God is in it, um, he will see you through. And I don't say, I don't think I'm even doing it well, but I've seen that once I realize that it's not meant to something I do on my own and I can just trust God for each day. So I've come to see for me, it's a trust issue. You know, running my lab, like you asked, you're juggling funding, you know, you can, you're always worried about funding, are you going to be able to keep the staff? But once, you know, I take Jesus' word seriously, 
today has enough troubles on it. So who told you to think about tomorrow? Do you even know if you're going to be here? My cousin just died at 44 last week. Mm. It's like with two kids. It's like, no, you don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow. But if you trust God, and I've seen that God has always kept the lab. God has somehow kept the, brought good people. It's also God that can give you really talented people that are probably smarter than you. Yes, they don't have the PhD or tenure track, but they, are, they really know what they are doing. They know the community better than you and all of that. So I've seen that it's a trust thing and it's a depend, learning to depend on God, not on your mentors, not on yourself, seeking God for wisdom. God has what he wants you to research. God has what he wants you to study because it's about impacting people. And once you can get on your knees every day and say, ah, God, help me. Oh, you grown into issues. This one has passed my power. God, give me wisdom. God, show me how to deal with this difficult person or student, whatever, colleague, or pray. I think one of the best things I started to do last year was Pray for people that I work with, you know, pray, really, really pray for them. Not pray for them to help you in your work, but really pray because you care, because you realize that God has planted you here for a season, for a reason, and really care, genuinely care. He will see you through. So that's kind of been it. It's not easy, but somehow day by day, he pulls through and I think I've seen his faithfulness so you learn to trust trust him even when it gets harder like number three even harder and you're like oh god we are really gonna die <laughs> and it's like no you're not I've got you I've got you you're not you think so but <laughs> you're not going to die <laughs> so that's just been the story Yeah, so modest. You started by saying you don't think you have anything to share. I mean, I can pick out a couple of points from what you said. And I think one is just seeking help. And, you know, so for you praying and also reaching out to people within your community. And I think the second thing is find people that have gone through that journey. I mean, like you being Nigerian, I think there's this mindset about you have to do everything yourself. Ah, you know, so they don't even having a housekeeper. Ah, I, was, I could just hear my mother's voice behind my back. I know. You cannot clean your you know, even though my mom is not like that, but there's always a mommy or auntie's voice in the back of my mind. I say I cannot come and kill myself. Judge you. Exactly. So we outsource housekeeping, cooking. You know, I enjoy cooking, but there's always almost no time. So I've outsourced like the big stews and all that. You know, you know, Nigerian food will take you like a whole weekend in the kitchen to <laughs> to soak, to baste, to fry, to you know, roast. So please, you know, you cannot do it yourself, you know, and I think. I try if you have a tenure track position for so, so assistant professors or full professors, it's a full-time life. On top of you know, whatever life you have, you know, that is already abundant, being a wife, a mom, a sister, whatever other roles you have. And when things don't work at home at work, or even the other way around, it 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 just informs the process. So remember that, you know, um find like like what your dean was telling you, find this a way to make yourself happy. I know one of the things I, I, I learned recently when I was trying to do my roadmap, you know, for success is start planning your personal life first and then fit in your professional life. But we're mm-hmm. always doing the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know, That's if true. your family life is not set, if you don't feel happy at home, if you don't feel like you're giving the best to your people around you, your work is going to suffer. You yes. know, and so having to have that mindset shift, it really was, you know, good for me. And I know I want to also add this to this, like women mentors. I, I have mentors of all kinds, you know. I have mentors for other areas of my life. But there's something about women mentors. And I want to say that because there are people talk about how ah, women don't help other women. If you are believing that narrative, there's nothing that goes further <laughs> from the truth. 
there's a way women have mentored me. Mm. You know, there's not so much I can tell, you know, my male mentors. I can't be very deeply personal with them. It's just inappropriate, you know. No matter how <laughs> kind, no matter how, you know, otherwise it's going to lead to, you know, something, you know, that that should even happen. But there's a way that a woman mentors you. That I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that women mentor are the best. But if you find yourself with a woman mentor, use them wisely. And I feel like there's a grace that God has given, you know, and I think it's also a between gender kind of thing. The way men will really mentor, you know, other men. And now with this Me Too movement, you know, which I think, you know, has called that a lot of good things. But the downside is that you're finding men will, like less willing to mentor women because a lot of them don't want to, you know, be in trouble. So all I'm just trying to say, use your mentors wisely and be very forthcoming about what you're going through. And so mentors are not even adequately equipped to help you in certain areas. And there's nothing, you're going to set up, set them up for, up for failure if you don't codify your network. Some people are good, to, they can sponsor you, they can, some people can even connect you. Maybe that's all they're just going to help you with, you know. So I, I see if like you're going from destination A to B, a mentor, one mentor can just be, I'm just going to give you the T-fair, figure the route yourself. Another mentor can say, I can drive you to the bus stop, enter the bus yourself. Another mentor could be the person that drives you, actually drives you from point A to point B. So find out how, you know, one person can help you or the other people can, can help you. Can I say one thing? Uh, sure, sure, turn. please go ahead. Go I ahead. think one thing I realized for me is that, yes, you have many mentors, but also understanding the mentoring style that works for you and the mentoring match that works for you. I've seen that once I figured it out and I pick, I have one mentor now that is just, this season of life is fantastic, Megan Moreno. And I've seen that God has her in my life for such a time as this. The growth place I'm in now, she's really what I need. Her life philosophy, her approach to running her lab, working with people matches my mental model. So it's easier to receive hard things from her. It's easier to trust her, you know? So I've seen that that's also very important. Oh, wow. That's a, I mean, that's a very good point to mention. Cause you know, even moving to Oklahoma and starting afresh, the mentor that was assigned to me wasn't a good match for me. And I realized I struggled a lot, but I was using a mentor for the longest time and she was very fantastic. But she said, you know what? Watch about the next phase of your research. I want you to talk to the other person. And guess what? I don't know if this happened to you where you feel like you've hit like a brick wall in your research. Like yeah. there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no direction any further. Yeah. I had a 30 minutes conversation with Darla Kenzo and I told her, you know, this is what I, she, she doesn't do anything in, you know, cancer space. But I told her everything I, I've been working on since like for the past nine, eight years. And I tell her, I feel like I've reached the very end. Like me, after talking to survivors, what's next? That's literally the end of the cancer care continuum. She's like, have you thought about M Health? And I was like, what? M Health? Like, how? She's like, here's how you used to do it. And guess what? Before you know it, within like three, four months, I applied for a care award. I got it. And I'm like, this person that didn't even know a lot about my research, but because I, I, a mentor introduced me to her. And now we have this relationship where she's just infusing new life into me. Again, mm-hmm. you know, find out, you know, who can help you and then find out exactly the mentoring style that you're used to. If I need some mentors, I know that if I need that, you know, um, like tough love, I can call them. I have mentors that they don't even suffer fools. Like if you do anything, they'll call you out on it. <laughs> so if you want tender loving, you know who to go to. If you want tough love, you know who to go to. So know your mentor as well as much as it, as well as you know you. So um, I think I'm, I'm also done all of my questions, but I had this, you know, final question with you being, You've, you've achieved so much, even though you, you might be a little bit modest about it. For those that are still upcoming, or even moms who want to step out of the ordinary, what are some of additional tips you can give them? 
good question. So I think what I found most valuable is one, surrounding yourself with wise people. I think for me, that has helped me the most. So being intentional, not just to have people in your life, but being intentional about the who you have in your life and why they are in your life. Because I feel like that has influenced a lot of the direction I have chosen, meaning because they are, you are talking to smart people, you are talking to people that are focused on the right things, they've built habits. So even just being around them, you pick up, be it marriage, be it work, be it um, um, your Christian life, you're picking up things that are good for you, you're picking up things that maybe you'd have done it differently, but you're learning how to do it better. So I would say that's the biggest thing is don't try to do life alone. You know, we were not meant to do life alone. God has designed us to grow and become our best, being with others and investing in others. And with that, you find yourself and you find your calling and you excel at it. And I'll say, give, don't be a taker. I think many at times we can go into relationships just wanting to take, take, take. But I've seen the biggest blessing comes when you go into relationships with how can I help? What can I give? And you find so much more, you know. I, I don't know if that is as specific no, that as you is, like. That is a very good, you know, way to run in this. Is, and I, there's something one of my other mentors said, don't be a crumble snatcher. Like mm, a crumb snatcher, a it. crumb snatcher. You know, you there's only when you do that a lot, people people can see you, they can <laughs> see you for yeah, and then you know, please, you know, contribute. Yeah. Give something back. Don't always always be the one asking for help. Like, can I help rebuke someone reaches out to you for help? Help and pass it on, pass it forward. And I also liked how you talked about, you know, um, don't do life alone. You know, um, and again, I think also defining what satisfaction of life will be for you for me career isn't going to be everything i want you know having a family is very important to me because i don't want to just you know achieve all of this and i and i, I live a lonely life for me i, I love being around I, ha- I love having a family and i love you know the fact that i have someone to do life with so i hope you're not putting all of that into one thing you know i'm not saying you should diversify your life but find out what's very important to you and what god has to do to be because there's a grace even no matter how talented you are there's, there's always an extra layer of grace that I feel like no matter how good you are, until you have that infused in you, things are just going to be very difficult, you know. And another thing I can draw for that, when I was learning how to swim, I realized that when I was doing my breaststroke, I wasn't doing the glide to really help me move forward. So I was getting really tired. And then my instructor called me, no, you need to use your glide because I see that you're not gliding. That's why you're getting tired. So I, 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 I liking God's grace to be that glide, you know, that little... Not little, that big thing that I even think is insignificant, but it can end up being that game changer. But I, I'm 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 done with all of my questions. I want to say thank you. Um, you you are an inspiration, and it's really nice talking to you. It's been I don't think it's been a very long time. I, as I talked in person, we, we have, have to change that. I keep we saying do, we do we do we do we do we do we really have to. And it's not gonna be like those, you know. Oh, let's have lunch, and it never happens. That like, we have to change that. Yeah, maybe you come just have visit to visit Wisconsin. I'll come visit you if you allow. You have me. Bring the boys. We have we have space I, here. Can I leave them with you and one. <laughs> not the little one that is still breastfeeding. You wanna go? You wanna go? We'll pump milk for <laughs> you. Look at his cheeks. It's so cute. Yes, yes. Uh, no, not that. You know, well, we've started this conversation again. I haven't been to Wisconsin before, and. A little, I think I applied to your school. Oh, you know what? The time I applied, they weren't taking people in well, that cohort. Yeah, yeah. But it was one of my top, you know, schools that I applied to. But yeah, definitely, we have to make a trip happen. Maybe you guys yeah, come to Oklahoma. Well, we have family here. To yes, fish, yeah. yes. Uh, it would be nice <laughs> to visit, but definitely not in the winter. So. <laughs>
Anyways, thank you so much for coming Take on care, the show. Dear. I really appreciate your story and you know, wish you the very best. I'll definitely reach out to you because you know, I'm really curious to know about setting up a lab. I'm I'm still upcoming in my oh happy day. Oh, I yeah. failed. Got had to do it all over again to with moving institutions. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. You have to start all over. I, I chose. I thought about moving my team, but I chose not to. Yeah. So that's like starting from scratch. But I've seen if God has sent you, He'll build it. Amen. Amen. That's what that's what I've seen. He, he has Amen. a plan. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we hope this episode inspires some level of greatness in you. Um, please always remember that it's very, as much as it's blessed to give, always also find a way to also give back, you know, or to receive, give back. And um, yeah, if you have any comments or questions about this episode, just reach out. And I remain your host, Masibo. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morcible Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomo at mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the moral civil podcast cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening mm-hmm.